DeMar DeRozan. Does he get it off? Nope. Yeah, it's blocked away. He That'll do it. He it looked like Bledsoe on top of the basketball. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I am Christian Clark here today, Monday morning, with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Uh, waking up after the Pelicans' home opener at Smoothie King Center. It was their first game at the Blender in more than nine months. First regular season game. Um, there were 750, 800 fans inside the building. I think, you know, for, you know, the building being at 4% capacity, they did a pretty good job of creating atmosphere. You know, they did whatever they could, but it's still just really weird. I mean, I've seen games in three different arenas. I got the chance to go on that Florida road trip, um, saw a game in Tampa, which was extremely weird. Uh, saw a game in Miami, um, and now one in New Orleans. It's it's kind of been weird because the first one there's like three thousand, four thousand fans. Miami it was completely empty in there except for the media, and this was uh, sort of in the middle. I I can't believe we're gonna have to you know probably go through a whole season like this. Uh, I'm sure it'll feel a little bit more normal, but man, it's it's just so strange and like feels like artificial in some ways, especially with like the pumped in crowd noise. Okay. So they always say on the broadcast, I haven't been to any of these, obviously they always say on the broadcast that you can hear Stan or last year, Alvin, just like very clearly. Is that, is that the case? Could you hear like what he was yelling the entire game? That's absolutely true. And I am just about as far away in the arena from Stan as you could get. I'm up in the three hundreds in a corner, like Stan's diagonal to me on the opposite side of the court. And I could totally hear him screaming. There's like there's an art form to kind of removing your mask away from your face and screaming at the refs <laughs> or or calling a play. I mean, you can't pull it completely down. You know, you just kind of like pull it like two or three inches from your face. So you got a, a little bit of room, so it's not as muffled. And yeah, Stan Van Gundy is a uh, a loud man. He is a man who is a clear communicator for sure. It is always funny to me what the coaches will pull their mask down to yell. Uh, during the preseason games, Tom Thibodeau, the recently hired Knicks coach, uh, pulled down his mask just to, just to yell F you at the officials who did not <laughs> abbreviate, uh, which is just like, yeah, okay, I get that. That's a very Tom Thibodeau thing to do. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely weird because you can't hear it on the uh, on the broadcast really at all. They did a good job of kind of adjusting their parabolic mics to pick up more of the fake crowd noise <laughs> that they want. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I, and from the fan, per, I'm curious. So like there's 750 fans in the arena. I think part of the reason, you know, there are a lot of reasons the NBA only released half the schedule, but I have to imagine part of it is they're hoping that by the second half of the schedule, um, there the situation regarding the pandemic will be a little better and they might be able to get more fans in the arenas and delaying might help. But either way, how how impactful or not impactful would you say having 750 fans versus none uh, is to the game? Can you hear them? Do they is there any meaningful crowd noise that you think could like actually even help charge up players, or is it just kind of uh, not nice to not have it completely echoing? Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I think it does help. I mean, I, I think there's some marginal benefit. I actually think you know. They got pretty rowdy at, at certain points in the second half, especially when Brandon Ingram started to cook a little bit. Like, yeah, I I, I kind of heard people, um, you know, really cheering them on. It's just weird because 
they're piping in the noise too. And, you know, the natural reaction of the fans is kind of mixing with the fake noise. And it almost at certain points, you know, gets kind of difficult to tell what is what. I mean, maybe that's a question for a player. I mean, you know, in the really big moments of the game, like, can you tell like, you know, most of this noise is fake, but some of it's real or, you know, when it all kind of blends together, does, does it all sound real to you? But yeah, I mean, I thought there was a pretty decent atmosphere, all things considered, last night in, in the third quarter when Pelicans got uh, in a little bit of a rhythm. I mean, they they weren't in a rhythm offensively for very long in that game, so there weren't like a bunch of opportunities for the fans to go nuts, uh, just kind of when they got rolling for a couple minutes in the second half and uh, especially at the end. Yeah, and you, I'm sure you can hear like very individualized cheering. Uh, oh, yeah. As opposed to, you know, 10,000 people, you can't really make it. But I know it's saying if there's one person in the crowd being a dick, you're going to know exactly who it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the it's an it's I enjoy watching this Pelicans team a lot more than I have enjoyed uh, teams the last few years, even when they're struggling, because there's very clear effort being given, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Is that, I mean, how, how have you seen that? I feel like there's just been a lot more commitment, even when it's bad. You know, when when they were just giving up easy bucket, easy bucket, easy bucket after the heat in the first half, you saw them come back and adjust. And, and a lot of what they were changing was, you know, fighting over screens and getting to the ball. And uh, to me, that's been, and I, that's been the biggest difference so far. Uh, I, I'm curious what your opinion on that is. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, they've they've played three games. They're two and one. Um, in both of those wins, they've held their opponents under a hundred points. Um, this was you know something I sent out last night. But last season, they only kept their opponents under a hundred four times in seventy two games. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty good indicator of of some of the strides they've already made on defense. You know, I will say they're not playing as as fast of a pace as last season. So like. It's a little bit wonky. It's a little imperfect, but whatever. I mean, they're they're clearly already a better defensive team. There's more buy-in on that end, I think, than there was last year. I mean, that that Miami game, really where it was lost was the second quarter when they gave up 37. They just looked confused on defense. They had, you know, the day after Christmas off after a long road trip. And then, uh, you know, on Sunday, their shoot-around lasted like more than two hours, and they just worked on defense the entire time, pretty much. I mean, you saw guys coming out of it and they're dripping sweat. Like, that's just what Stan Vegetti does. I mean, if you, you know, if there's confusion, if you're not executing, if the effort's not there, like, they're going to drill it and then they're going to drill it and then they're going to drill it some more until it really sinks in. And it looked like, you know, whatever wasn't working on Christmas Day on the defensive end, uh, they were able to correct it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was, you know, when you let teams get easy buckets and they get into a rhythm, you can get into trouble, especially against a team with shooters like the Heat have. And that seemed to be the issue more than, you know, not being good enough defensively. It was just uh, just not handling the pick and roll uh, in any conscious way <laughs> to prevent layups. Uh, and I think there was like three or four possessions in a row that ended with a lob at the rim or, a, or a, just a lo- throw over the top to the rim with no defense, uh, either on Bam Adebayo or – you know, Andre Iguodala getting wide a kick out to the corner for a wide open three. And that was like a five minute sequence that it seemed like the Heat were scoring on literally every possession. Uh, but that wasn't the case in the second half. Uh, and, and I think there should be some optimism there. Even, even though you get behind what, 23, uh, 
having kind of the wherewithal to be able to pull yourself back. And, you know, I think they got to within six and they had chances to get closer in that game. They just missed shots down the stretch. Um, but that, I think that's a clear difference from what you saw. Even in that game where they got beat, uh, you know, they allowed 111 points. <laughs> that's the type of game they would have allowed 135 to the Nets last year. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to rattle off these stats in my, 30 for 30 voice. Just pretend like uh, I'm speaking in a 30 for 30 voice right now. Jeff, what if I told you the Pelicans shot 38% of the, from the field? What if I told you they shot five of 24 from three, that they scored 16 in the first quarter and 19 in the fourth quarter, and they still won? This is going to be a boring 30 for 30. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to tune in for this. Yeah. What's what's the title of this thirty for thirty? Uh, defense and fundamentals: colon they work. I mean, I, Good I job. yeah, that's yeah, that's that's kind of been. I mean, my biggest takeaway through these first three games is, you know, the stuff that Stan Van Gundy has preached throughout training camp. We're seeing some early signs that it's starting to sink in. I mean, they they turned the ball over a ton against Toronto. Um, turnovers were again a problem against Miami and this game against San Antonio eight turnovers uh, they only let the Spurs get to the free throw line eight times I mean Stan talked about it after the game I mean one of the first texts he rattled off to the entire team after he got the job was we just have to stop beating ourselves like we just have to stop shooting ourselves in the foot because that was such a problem last year like the Pelicans you know they could make these amazing plays, but so often, you know, where the game was lost was, oh, we just stepped out of bounds. We didn't make a free throw. We fouled instead of just staying solid in the defensive end. Like, we didn't get that one critical defensive rebound. Like, we're already seeing improvement in in those types of areas. And, like, I mean, that that's what has made Stan Van Gundy a good coach throughout his career is, you know, no matter where he's been, his teams have been able to do like these simple things. I mean, they're simple, but they're difficult to execute. And that's kind of what makes Stan really good is he gets teams to do these things. It's it's only one game where 4% of the way through the season or whatever. Um, but I thought that was a really encouraging sign. You could just tell after the game of how hyped Stan was to to get an ugly win like that. Yeah, and being able to win games like this, it just makes the whole process a lot easier. I said after the game, like my first reaction after the game was like, I remember this game from last season. The Pelicans played this exact game over and over and over again last season, and they found ways to lose them. They very rarely found ways to win them. And part of the reason was your margin for error was so slim because you're averaging 120 points a lot of game. You cannot grind out a game when you're just trying to push, push, push. You're just trying to outscore the other team. And this this is a game where they've found a way to win. You know, they held the Spurs to 19 points. They outscored them in the fourth quarter. Uh, and and that's just, you know, uh, the Lakers game last year in at the Smoothie King Center, they were ahead by double digits going into the fourth quarter, and they score, they got outscored by like 12. I want to say they they went cold offensively, and they got outscored by 12, and they lost. Same with the Clippers game. Um there's at least one other game that that I'm blanking on, but it happened over and over again. They just could not close out games, and part of the reason is you just couldn't lock down when you needed to. Uh, in this game, they did. You know, they allowed 32 points in the third quarter. They got cold in the third quarter, but they came back and they, you know, they just gutted out a win. And uh, that's what good teams do. And there's a lot to that goes into whether they can be better or not. Uh, but the fact that they're winning 
that they won that game in spite of J.J. Redick having probably the coldest start I've ever seen uh, from J.J. Redick. He went 6-for-11 in their opener. Uh, he's 1-for-11 on threes <laughs> in the last two games. And uh, the winning in spite of that, uh, and I think probably this change to the offense has not been kind to J.J. Redick getting good looks. A lot of his looks have been uh, off the dribble or contested. Uh, so, and I mean, that's, they're going to figure that out. It's just a matter of, uh, setting up those shots a little better, but I mean, that's a good sign because you know who JJ Redick is. He's going to come back and, uh, and get that shot falling. He's not going to shoot 20% from the free point line this season. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I have to say like, I'm, I'm very encouraged by how I, even with a two and one start, even with that loss in Miami and that kind of uneven first half, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from them. Yeah. I mean, I think in two of the first three games, we've got real outlier performances um, from the Pelicans in the three-point shooting department. Uh, that that Toronto game, I mean, they were just lights out. I think they were 19 of 42. Um, they were absolutely brutal against the Spurs, 5 of 24. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what the middle looks like for the Pelicans as we get further into the season. I mean, that was, that was a strength for them last year was the outside shot. Uh, they're top 10 in both three-point attempts and three-point percentage. Um, I'm curious, you know, if they can keep it up into into what degree. Um, you know, like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, their development was a big reason for that improvement, and obviously both those guys are back. Um, you know, I think one of the things I look at is, is does the system they played under Alvin Gentry, like did that kind of juice those numbers up a little bit, like playing this free-flowing way, um, I'm curious about that, but you know, I, I, I give the Pelicans organization, um, a lot of credit for, I guess, properly diagnosing, you know, what this team's weaknesses were coming out of the bubble, because I mean, look, that, that type of effort two and six, I mean, just, just not being competitive, frankly, like that's just something that you can't tolerate and can't happen again. And I think, you know, from bringing in Stan Van Gundy to, you know, acquiring Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe to be these complementary pieces. Um, you know, there was a recognition and an execution of we just have to be a tougher team and they just they do look like a tougher team so far. Yeah, and uh, it's easy to forget that literally there is no one on this roster that has been on the team for more than one season. Uh Zion, the longest tenured player? Sure. <laughs> yeah, technically no well, I think yeah, because he got on the roster like one day before uh <laughs> Brandon Ingram and uh Lonzo Ball, like what whatever the whenever the draft pick became official or the trade became official, that's the longest tenured player who ever got there first because literally no one has been on this team bef- since before the 2019 season. Uh and I don't know if I've ever seen that in the NBA, you know, just in terms of completely turning over a roster. Uh and because I I was going through it before the season, I was like, there's got to be someone. Like, nope. Darius Miller's gone. Etwan Miller's gone. I'm sorry. Etwan Moore is gone. Drew Holiday's gone. And there, there weren't that many last year. But now there are none. <laughs> the Anthony Davis era is officially turned over. It does not exist anymore. Uh, and that's in three games into the season. It's kind of amazing to see that they don't look that fresh. You know, for a team that has all these new players, they look cohesive to some level. And uh, I think that's partly because last year they didn't at all. And it was very similar, even though you had Drew Holiday kind of anchoring that uh, that continuity. 
this year they don't have that at all, and they've added a lot of pieces again. You Like you said, Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, I almost called him Drew again. Why am I missing the next? I guess no one else No one else really plays that was new. You know, Willie hasn't played. Uh, Cinderius Thorne hasn't really played. Uh, Najee Marshall hasn't really played. So, I mean, but you have, you still have this like kind of base level understanding of Lonzo and B.I. and Zion playing together, and that kind of anchors that a little bit. But it's still such a new thing, and they're all learning a new system in their second season. So uh, you have to you have to expect that there's going to be a bit of uh, a learning curve as you get into kind of the meat of the first half, and uh, hopefully that balances out toward the end. One of the biggest, I guess, adjustments or changes from last year to this year is the way uh, the head coach uses rotations. I mean, last year it was 9, 10, 11 guys all the time um, in, in Alvin Gentry's system. This year we've seen uh, the Pelicans go eight or nine deep. I mean, they they played nine guys in that Christmas Day loss against the Heat, and it was really seven because Nicole O'Malley played nine minutes and uh, Jackson Hayes was in there for three minutes. Um, Stan talked a little bit after that game of, you know, I need to I need to be a little more patient with my bench and and not be so quick to pull the plug. Um, I I have to be honest. I took that to meant like, okay, um, a few more guys are going to get some run in the home opener. Uh, that was not the case. Uh, they went eight deep the entire game, which was a little bit of surprise to me. Uh, the starters and Josh Hart, JJ Redick, and Jackson Hayes off the bench. Um, Stan did make the point that. Even though he played fewer guys, uh, his bench played an overall greater number of minutes. They're on the floor for 70 minutes in the home opener as opposed to 65. Um, but yeah, man, he's kept that thing tight. I mean, Nicola Melli was not, didn't play at all in the home opener. Nikhil Alexander Walker uh, has been used very sparingly. Haven't seen Kyle Lewis Jr. at all. Um, what have you just thought about, you know, going eight deep? I mean, do you think? that is uh sustainable moving forward well you, you do i do look at 38 minutes for zion and get a little concerned uh third game this season even even if there are no limitations that's <laughs> that's a big that's a big guy uh taking a, taking a lot of hits and uh ju- a lot of leaps and a lot of lands so i i don't know if i like 38 minutes obviously they were they were grinding this game out so you uh he and he sets to start the fourth quarter uh or at least he has and so that's something to watch. I don't I, if he's in the you know high 30s uh in terms of average minutes this season you could get into serious trouble down the road. But yeah, I think part of it is as we've talked about this is a new system and a new coach and I don't know if he necessarily trusts uh the uh, the Nikhil Alexander Walkers of the world to play defense. And this is a team that wa- is trying to win games. And uh, I've seen a few people point out, like, well, you got to worry about development at some point. You got to worry about Nikhil Alexander Walker, you know, becoming a better p- basketball player and getting a chance to do that. Uh, same with Kyra Lewis Jr. Nicola Melli is a different situation because I think that he is a valuable role player. And when he gets his opportunities, he's going to, you know, he's going to be a professional. So you're not as worried about the development part of that. But um, I'm okay with it as long as you're not overworking uh, Zion, as, as I said. But I think that as the season goes on and injuries strike, it will not appear as big of an issue as it does now. 
Like when a team is healthy, the rotation becomes a really big question. Like, well, you're not playing enough players. People aren't getting enough minutes. Uh, halfway through the season, when three guys are injured, <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be uh, begging for fewer minutes for Nikhil Alexander Walker. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, this team has seven guys. If you're a fan, you just feel really confident in. Um, you know, obviously, Stan Van Gundy feels like that's the case. Uh, Jackson Hayes is kind of the eighth guy. Nicole Mel is kind of that ninth guy. Um, it's just really interesting. And, you know, as far as kind of balancing development with trying to win right now, um, it's tricky. It's it's tricky. I mean, I, I would say I lean more toward the side of, like, you got to be getting gnaw in there a little bit. Like, this is year two for him. This is probably the last year of Zion and Braden Ingram together where, you know, it's like a glaring disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, obviously, you know, you really want them to make the play-in tournament and compete for a playoff spot, but, um, you know, you're going to be feeling even more that way next year. Like, I I think you kind of have to see what you have in awe a, a little bit this year. Like, it's just like if you're not going to try to find out right now, then, then when are you going to try to find out? Um, I mean, I, I just wonder, I mean, look, media, we, we don't get to watch any practice right now. Even in normal times, we watch the last 10 minutes. We are only seeing, you know, so much of the picture or the iceberg or whatever metaphor you want to use. Like, I wonder what Nala looks like in practice. Um, you know, if Stan just clearly doesn't have like a ton of confidence in him right now. Um, you know, Stan has kind of cited the decision making. Um, is is one thing that Nikhil needs to continue to work on. I, I think that's fair. But like he looked good in that first preseason game. I mean, I know it was like a, a pretty meaningless preseason game and Jimmy Butler wasn't playing and neither was Goran Dragic. Um, but yeah, I just I'm just curious what uh he looks like, you know, when we don't get to watch. If if the Pelicans can get summer league nah, whew, look out. <laughs> He's a he's a show in the summer league, but uh, you know I think one thing that um, the front office kind of made pretty clear uh, after the draft, which I thought was interesting, is you know some of these guys might be on the G League team in a normal season. You know, Kyra Lewis I think would definitely be in the G League, um, but the issue with the pandemic uh, impacting kind of the movement between those rosters, I think, is is a part of why. You know, Kyra is sitting on the bench because they, the coaching staff wants access to him. You know, they want to have him in practice and they want to have the ability to put him on the floor. Uh, in you know, if they if they're up by a lot and they can get those garbage time minutes to kind of flow. But there's the ability to just kind of like call someone up and send them down to the G League just doesn't exist this year. You're going to have uh, mandatory quarantines and uh, issues with that. And you're just not going to be able to do that the way you would want to, especially with a with a first round rookie. So um, I think especially from his from his perspective, that's an issue uh, in terms of the development there, because Kyra Lewis Jr. is 19, you know, or 20. I don't I think he's 19. So, like, he's not a guy you're worried about, you know, how, how much exposure to the NBA is he getting this year? You want him to just develop and be ready to go, uh, as the, as he's needed on the roster. And that's just not going to be something that can happen with the G League. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think that Zion can be playing 38 minutes a night. Um, I wonder if part of what Stan is doing is, we're just really going to push those minutes out in the beginning part of the season to, to get him into shape and then, 
once he's in the condition that we like, uh, we level off at 33, 34, whatever it is. Um, you know, that, that makes some sense to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, you know, 38 night after night, um, is, is really the answer. Um, hey, if he's him. getting five steals, he can play as many minutes as he wants. <laughs> uh, him and Lonzo ball, both just steel machines, man. Those guys have, uh, really good defensive instincts. I hope Zion continues to, uh, get back in better shape because I've seen some signs of him kind of being this uh, turnover generating machine that, that he was in college. He also had uh, Alonzo Alonzo steals also got him two of the easiest dunks I have ever seen in an NBA game, like yeah. on back to back possessions. Uh, so I'm sure he appreciates that, uh, that aspect of Lonzo's uh, thievery. Well, I think there was a play in the third quarter where LaMarcus Aldridge tried to save the ball under his own basket, which is always a no, no, but let me tell you, it's especially a no-no when Zion Williamson is standing in your own basket. Like, <laughs> when if, he's if waiting kinda, for you to do it. Yeah, if it's kind of one of those plays where the ball is going out and you're like, oh, I just got to throw it in bounds and hopefully a teammate gets it and you see Zion standing there, no, eat it. Like, let them, you know, take the ball in bounds and just kind of regroup because well, I don't want to get embarrassed like that. Right, and Lonzo had one where I, I can't remember who threw the ball. Maybe it was Lonnie Walker, and he just went like, Go go gadget arms and literally just caught it with two hands over his head and like Zion it happened so early Zion hadn't even left that side of the floor yet uh, and uh, that's 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 the good part of Lonzo the bad part is when you know he's not making that second free throw down the stretch <laughs> yeah. like the fact that he made that first free throw I was like Whew, he's not going over but like did anyone did you think even for a second that second free throw was going to go in. I actually did think that second free throw was going in because he looked so confident on the first he one. Did. He just stepped up there and like swished it. I was like, oh my God, that was the cleanest free throw I've I've ever seen from you. Um, and listen, I don't want to shade Lonzo. I thought he played like a good, complete game against the Spurs. I thought he was really aggressive. Um, one of the things I saw that was kind of new was he had three mid-range jumpers. And, you know, that's something he's talked about trying to incorporate more into his game. Um I thought it worked. I mean, like he was so alone, like he was on an island uh, when he went into the pick and roll. They were going under like if they're going to be 10 feet away from you, like I'm totally fine with him taking that 15 footer. Antonio uh, Daniels on the broadcast actually made a good point, which is that's a workout jumper. (laughs) There were there were like two in a row that he literally just did the drill where you just take two dribbles, stop and pull up uh, from the from the from like 10 feet and it's like that is exactly what that shot was and i imagine he's been working on that shot and uh that's a if if he can do that consistently and not fade away that's that's a good shot for him yeah i mean i i i don't know if the floater is ever uh you know gonna be a shot for him like the one he took in that game against san antonio was he kind of t-rex armed it but you know i could see him having uh, a semi-reliable like pull-up mid-range shot he's banked a couple of of them in too uh, Lonzo Duncan, Jeff. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's more of a it's more of a rush <laughs> shot than a than a Tim shot. But yeah, I I actually like that. I, I as long as he's trying to bank it in, I, I like the strategy there. Because <laughs> anytime you can put it off the rim soft, and you have Stephen Adams and Zion underneath, which you will do if you bank it like that. I when I say soft, I mean a rebound that will come down in the proximity of the rim. Uh, I think that's not a terrible strategy, even if it doesn't go in. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm with you. Um, and, and just to put a bow on kind of you know this this talk about the rotation, um, I will say in that Christmas Day game, uh, I was kind of humming in Don McLean's voice the day PBMT died. Uh, it was it was pretty bad. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> Melly, Melly had a rough game, man. I mean, there's just there's just no way around it. It's been a uh, it was you know rough first two games for him. I mean, every worry that you have uh, about Nicola Melly, I think, was kind of crystallized in that game against Toronto when he got the steal and it looked like he was going to take it down the court and make that reverse layup, and it just got like swallowed up. Like there are these concerns, you know, about his athleticism. Um, look, I don't want to be in the bag for Melly. Like, you know, I think it's kind of justified that he got he got axed from the rotation. He has not been good. Um, he made probably the worst, the Pelicans' worst play of the entire game at Christmas Day when he just got like face cut in the third quarter um, by Precious Achua, your boy, and allowed him to get that layup. <laughs> um, but I will say, I mean, like I think. Melly can be a ninth guy for this team or whatever. Like, you know, if if he's not making threes, which he was in these first two games, it's just kind of rough. But like, you know, I think he's probably a a thirty five percent three point shooter. Like, all I'm saying is, uh, you know, Melly should not be like xed out of the rotation forever. Yeah. So what I've seen the issue be with Melly this year in kind of this new system where you're trying to where you're you're slowing the game down a little bit is uh, he just. I don't think he's mobile enough uh, on defense to really hold up um, unless you're trying to combat a small ball lineup. I, If you're going against a team like the Spurs or uh, a team like the Raptors who have a really kind of uh, stout front line in terms of big bodies, I think he's going to have a hard time. Whereas if you're going against a team that wants to play small anyway, uh, Celtics would be a good example where you know, you're just looking to match up six, eight guys across the board. Uh, I mean, I think that he makes a lot of sense. I think he has a lot of value in in those matchups. But I can see um, anytime you face a team like the Spurs where they're going to try to beat you over the head with LaMarcus Aldridge, I think you're going to have a little trouble fitting him in there because you have to match him in with Zion and Steven Adams somehow. And I, I just don't know. You know, he probably has to play the five or the four with Zion at the five. And that's just a tough a, a tough thing to uh, get right, especially when you're playing Zion 38 minutes <laughs> because uh, – Kind of his role in that small ball lineup is contingent on how you're using Zion. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of got to one of the the key problems with Melly is that he's just a little bit small to consistently defend fives and and keep the defensive class clear, and he's just not quite quick enough to hang with a lot of fours or you know other wings when when opposing teams go small. Um, so you know he's he's got clear limitations. Like I think that's that's definitely true, um, but. I still think, you know, the Pelicans could use his outside shooting, um, you know, once he once he kind of rediscovers that rhythm. Like, that's just that's just something they don't really have um, at those big spots. And I also wonder, too, um, you know, when when Ian Gabriel gets healthy, I think he could be a rotation guy for this team. I mean, they just they just kind of need any help on the wing they can get. Like, I guess when is kind of a, a power forward who can play some small forward like he's a four slash three. Um, you know, right now, Josh Hart is like basically playing starters minutes. He's always out there guarding somewhere way bigger than him. I think, you know, Wendy Gabriel could lighten some of that load. Um, if he's able to like hit a wide open three, that's great for you. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who I could see getting some consistent minutes when he gets right. Yeah. I think, I think Josh Hart's been fantastic. Uh, he had a double double almost in the first half, I want to say yesterday. Um, and uh, I'm curious, so what, after three games, what are your, I know what my opinions on Eric Bledsoe are. I'm curious what your take takeaways on Eric Bledsoe's start have been so far. Obviously, he had a really nice shooting start against the Raptors, as everyone did. Uh, he went four for eight from three. 
Uh, but he's struggled since. He and J.J. Redick have combined to go two for 22 from the three-point line in the last two games. Yeah, it's kind of been like trick-or-treat from him so far. I mean, I I, I didn't kind of want to overreact after he hit like every three inside after that first game. And, you know, I had some people saying like, oh, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you make a bigger deal of this? I mean, you know, I, I think he's a good, solid player. He's just... uh you know, he, he's not exceptional, um, but, you know, we have to give him some credit. I mean, he made like kind of one of the game winning plays in the home opener. I mean, that block against DeMar DeRozan was was pretty spectacular. Like Bledsoe's, Bledsoe's wingspan is crazy. Like he's six foot one. I think the wingspan is six foot eight because he's just huge for like a little guy. Um, and you know, I've, we've seen that pop up in a couple of places. You know, my my read on it is um, like so much of the Pelicans creation in the half court comes from Brandon Ingram and then Zion Williamson. And then there's just just not much half court creation outside of that. And I wish, you know, Eric Bledsoe could give you a little more in that department. I wish Lonzo Ball could give you a little more in depart more in that department. I think that's kind of the ingredient that is missing from the Pelicans right now is like secondary and tertiary playmaking in the half court. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Probably my biggest criticism of Bledsoe right now is he looks scared to shoot in the last two games. He looks he'll get the ball in the perimeter wide open and he just he's he looks like Lonzo at the free throw line where he's like, you know, I know it can go in, but I'm not sure it will. And uh, that's just not you you can't have that at that spot. Uh, You need a guy who can spot up and shoot confidently Um, and say what you want about Josh Hart. He never looks scared to shoot. Uh, And and I think. You you need to see a bit more confidence on the offensive end from Bledsoe because the Pelicans have guys who will play defense, and uh, I think he's going to he's going to be a part of that in terms of the you know locking down the perimeter. But his kind of cre- his kind of shot making at that at that one or two spot where whether he's playing the one or he's playing alongside Lonzo is it's for a team that's going to struggle to cre- to create spacing. Uh, th- if they can sag off him from the three point line, that could be problematic. I think. No, I, I agree. I mean, there were, especially in that Christmas day game, there were a lot of times when, you know, Brandon Ingham was trying to create and the Heat's defense was just like bunched up like some grapes, like almost all their players, you know, had a foot in the lane and, and Brandon Ingram was trying to, to score against that. Like, that's just really difficult for you. I mean, I think the Pelicans' best offense right now is getting stops and pushing. And it's been interesting to hear Stan Van Gundy say, like, yeah, we need to play in transition. Like for us to have uh, a healthy offense, like we're just going to have to do this. I mean, Stan traditionally is not a guy whose teams have played up-tempo. And I think there's a recognition there that, you know, I have personnel that's uniquely suited to play this way. um, And the Pelicans are doing that. But I mean, clearly they're going to have to be better in the half court uh, than they have been. And they've only been together for three weeks. I mean, they've got time to figure it out. They're not going to be five of 24 bad uh, from three-point land night in and night out. Um, but yeah, they, they're going to have to be better in the half court for sure. Jeff, wanted to spend this last part talking about Brandon Ingram. Um, I think he's probably been the Pelicans' best player through three games, which again, 4% of the season. You know, I'm not... I'm not casting my MVP ballot yet or anything like that, but I think Brandon Ingram looks really comfortable. Um, I think he's controlling the game in 
a way that I didn't see last year. One example of that, it's it's kind of a hard thing to articulate, but I rewatched the game this morning. One example of that was the play in the third quarter where they go to him and you know he's kind of backing his guy down and he hits him with a fake. And then a second spur comes over as soon as he turns and Brandon immediately recognizes it and he swings the ball to Josh Hart at the top of the key and he, he hits you know a wide open three. Um, Ingram just like he looks like he knows you know how the defense is going to react. Like it just seems like he he he's able to put them on their here their heels at all times. Um, I've just been really impressed by what he's been able to do early on. Yeah, and it, it he seems to have gotten to the point now where he understands when to be aggressive while driving to the rim, when to you know get that shot off, which. He can get at any point, and he, he he knows that he can get his shot at any point because he can shoot the ball higher than anyone can jump because his arms are twelve feet long, and <laughs> it's such an advantage. And I, every time he takes the ball down the lane, and he kind of just does that carry over someone's head that like normal humans might struggle with when you're talking about six eight NBA players, and he just like like lifts it over their head like he's holding a tennis ball, I kind of like giggle. I'm like, because <laughs> it's just like the ease with which he does that and then gets to the rim and you know that if he's within five feet of the rim and he doesn't have someone about to punch him in the face, he can just lay it in because he can, he's got those inc- insanely long arms. Uh, it's, it's very much like, you know, what Kevin Durant does. And that's the comp that, that's the only comp that makes sense when you talk about Brandon Ingram and the, and the, and the possibilities that exist with Brandon Ingram and that insane wingspan. Uh, is is Kevin Durant, and he's playing a lot more like Kevin Durant this year than he is like he was then playing like you know younger Brandon Ingram this year. Uh, he seems to be have a, kind of like consciously aware of that switch that he can turn on, uh, and that's what's happened in the third quarter of these games, uh, all three games. He's really kind of hit you know just just flipped the switch in the third quarter. Um, they got outscored by six points in the third quarter by the Spurs, who got hot. And they're still plus, uh, I want to say plus fourteen in the third quarter over their first three games, and that's that's what winning teams do. That's what good teams do is they take you know whatever happened in the first half. It's if, even if it's, it's close or you're behind, you know, good teams take control of a game in the third quarter and they find a way to win in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that's what the Pelicans have done in two of their well in all three games really. Uh, not you know the Spurs, the Spurs battled on their own. They had to come back from a deficit in that third quarter. But, you know, the Pelicans didn't wilt. Allow me to geek out for a second. When Brandon Ingram does that thing that you said where he, like, just takes the ball above the other guy, like, you know, just puts it above his head and it's just, like, over the other guy's grasp and drives to the rim, I think that's cool as shit, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Like, that, that play gets the heat where he did that and then he took it to the rim and, like, finished that lefty swooping layup. Uh, mm-hmm. was just gorgeous. Um, he's freaking huge, man. I mean, his standing reach, uh, nine foot one. I mean, for some context, Anthony Davis's standing reach is is nine foot. I mean, his standing reach, like if he just stands still and puts his arm straight above his head, it's actually a, a little bit higher than Anthony Davis, which is pretty nuts. Um, you know, I I feel a little bit validated. One of the things I said kind of consistently last season was. I think Brandon Ingram has another level he can get to as a playmaker. And I think we've seen that early on. I mean, he has 20 assists. The next closest teammate has 13. I mean, he's really been the primary source of creation for this team. Um, He looks 
great as a playmaker. And, you know, the spelling, Pelican spacing, I mean, it, they were hitting that first game. It's been uh, pretty iffy these last two games. But, man, he looks uh, he looks fantastic to me. Yeah, and that three-point shot, you know, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a barrage last season. That you, you, there had to be some concern over the change in play styles affecting how efficient he was on those jumpers because he's not going to get as many kind of again uh, trailing threes in transition that the defense isn't going to be able to contest. He's getting you know contested threes this season, and uh, the ability to hit that shot over a defender is is you know invaluable when you're coming down the stretch of games and he knows that he can just rise up and take a shot that they can't really impact as long as he's, as long as he's confident in it. And, uh, that's, that's a really good thing for the Pelicans just to have a score. You know, the, what they struggled with down the stretch of games last year is they didn't have anyone that they could just put in ISO and say, go get a bucket. You know, even, even Zion, you could throw it down to the post, but a down the stretch of games, you know, he's going to be a little, a little spent. And I think you've seen that in the first three games is, he had, you know, he he had a bit more trouble in the fourth quarter, really kind of asserting himself at the rim. And B, you know, sometimes you just need a three. Sometimes you just need a jumper, and uh, that's what he can give you. Just any time that you need it, you can just ISO him and say, "Go get it." And there's a pretty good chance he gets it done. And that's that's a good thing for the Pelicans. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, he took ten of the Pelicans' twenty-one shots in the fourth quarter last night. I mean, you could just tell he wanted the ball. Like he was very comfortable with, all right, guys, this is a close game. Like, give me the ball at my spot, and we're going to get a good shot either with me taking it or, you know, me kind of collapsing the defense and finding y'all. Uh, last season, it was, you know, him and Drew Holiday were the main two guys. Um, it was about even in terms of like who, who they were going to late in close games. Obviously, the Pelicans were not a good crunch time team last season, among the worst in the NBA. Um, you know, Brandon was not perfect on the stretch in this game in any, by any means. He had two turnovers, um, but, you know, still made enough plays to win it. It helps when you're playing defense a little bit, but just like, even when he made a couple of mistakes, like he still wanted the ball. And I thought at least in the context of that game, that was encouraging. Like he just looked very, very comfortable in that role. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like I said, like I've been hammering home, it's easy to lose perspective on the fact that this is a brand new team with a new coach learning a new system. And uh, they look like a team that can win a lot of basketball games, you know, maybe not make a, a serious run in the playoffs, but they look like a team that can contend to, for the playoffs. And, you know, now that you even have a better chance with the play in this year. Um, but, you know, you look around the NBA every now and then you'll see a result that just kind of like makes you say, what? The Bucks lost to the Knicks by 20. <laughs> what? <laughs> How is that even like even like if that was a preseason result, I would be like, wow, that's wild. How this the Bucks were, you know, going to push for 72 wins last season. They didn't lose to anybody, let alone the Knicks dropping 130 points. I didn't even look at the box score. All I saw was the score line. I'm just like, what the hell is happening out in Milwaukee? Uh, they, I, I want to say they're two, one and two. Uh, not a good start for that for the fight in Drew Holidays. While we're here, did you see what the Mavericks did to the Clippers? <laughs> yeah. Did you see what the Clippers didn't do, which was score more than the Saints at halftime? <laughs> they had 27 points at halftime. Uh, the wild. Pelicans should have been happy about that result because 
someone has lost to the Mavericks by a greater margin than they did last year when they lost by 46 points. Oh, that's a good nugget. Yep. There was somehow a worse performance against the Mavericks uh, in a little more than a year since the Pelicans laid an absolute egg. That was probably the most uncomfortable locker room I've ever walked into in my short time doing this was after they lost by 46 in Dallas. But Jeff, those dark times maybe are behind this. I don't anticipate the Pelicans losing by 46 at any game this season. Well, I hope not. Um, but I do think that there's something to be there's something to be said from those results. And that is you you have it this season more than any other, I think, you know, if there is a wonky result and, you know, take it with a grain of salt, because I think there's just going to be a lot more weirdness that goes into preparing for games. And, you know, I don't know. I could look at that game and find out that half the Clippers roster was out with COVID. I don't know. It's impossible to keep track of all 30 NBA teams in that regard. And, uh, you know, the you say that they won't lose by 48. I'm not confidently going to say that because, like I said, there's a chance that they, you know, the three of the five starters are out with COVID and all of a sudden you have G League players. Uh, you know, the, that that bottom half of the roster that isn't playing right now is out there playing 30 minutes and you do, you lose by 50. Uh, and so that's just a, that's that's a variable that you cannot plan for. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at a team like the Bucks, even just preparation wise, losing to the Knicks, uh, it's just going to be a weird season. You're not going to see the same level of consistency that you would from a normal uh, NBA season. And uh, unless you're Steven Adams, Steven Adams is always the same level of consistency, even when he's missing at the free throw line. Dude is a tree trunk. I don't want to get out of here without heaping some love on Stephen Adams for our recently uh, discovered New Zealand fan base. Yeah, I mean, if I could place bets on humans who will survive the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> uh, I'm placing all my money on Stephen Adams. Right. Remember, so we did a podcast last year where we picked like our our most who we, who would be our teammate in the zombie apocalypse. I think I landed on Kendrick Williams. I think we would have all just unanimously said Stephen Adams if he was on the roster at that point. Yeah, Stephen Adams is the clear cut number one in that category and a lot of other categories too. Uh, probably charisma. I, I would say he's great. Yep, mate. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got today. Um, we appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. It's been a fun start to the season, and uh, talk to you guys later. Peace.